0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. We talk a lot about the life cycle of an athlete as it refers to their training age and competency, and today you'll learn that the life cycle of a D3 All-Star is men's softball. But don't worry, although Luke and Tex are balls deep in training for the men's semi-competitive version of a women's sport, doesn't mean they've abandoned their passion and expertise for training for real sports. This week, they answer your questions as prompted on Instagram. The topic How to Replicate Sport and Training. The guys touch on agility work, prowler functionality, punching and pushing, limiting factors in the military, and breaking down technique. Each answer is carefully crafted with the science of physiology as the basis. A surprisingly informative Power Athlete Radio is coming your way. This is episode 226. I feel for them little
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time again. You are listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength Strength and and conditioning. conditioning Power Athlete Radio. So we dropped a little message on our Instagram feed, little video message, Tex and I, pretty big deal. We've joined a men's league softball team. And uh, don't confuse that with baseball, functional coach, because this is the real deal, right? (laughs) But even before that, people, before we get into answering the questions of part two of that post, which is really about skill transfer movement, we want to give you some public service announcements. First and foremost, you'll get to hear Tex talk today because John's not here to overpower and just keep yapping and yapping and not let Tex and, and I and talk. changing on, the subject. Oh, geez. Don't even give me started on that. That's announcement number one. <laughs> <laughs> announcement number two is... Um, Power Athlete Symposium sold out last week. That's right. We sold it out. All the tickets are sold out. But here's what I did, people. This is a true play-by-play of how this went down. Me and Tex jumped in as 88 Corolla and fucking floored it. Got it up to 25, went right over to our venue, Sinesta B Cave. We kicked the fucking door in, and what do we say, Tex? We said, "It's a 2003 Corolla." And not then to they're be like abused. They knew that already, so that's what Tech said to them. And then I'm like, listen, we sold out. You need to knock these fucking walls down, make this bigger, because we we need more people to come in. And guess what they said? Yes, but. Yes, but. Here's the deal. Yes, but. It's going to be a great time. So, people, we have a second wave of tickets available for Power Athlete Symposium. So, let's give you, if you were living under a rock, and maybe you were, or a van down by the river, Our Power Athlete Symposium is a fundraising event for pediatric cancer called neuroblastoma. Okay? What we do is we've put together this three-day speaker event where people, our our people, people we've met on this podcast outside at events like SummerStrong, they're coming in to put on their best stuff for anyone who wants to show up. All proceeds are going to Wade's Army. So any sponsor cash we collect, registration cash, that's going to Wade's Army. And Wade's Army is, text, take it.
2: So Wade's Army is a, a 501c3 that we began in the year 2012. So, so after the first anniversary of a, a little boy named Wade De Bruin passing away of neuroblastoma. So we teamed up, the Wellborn family and the De Bruin family, Wade's parents, teamed up to begin essentially Wade's Army. And we are actually making a, a difference in the pediatric cancer fight. So again... Uh, neuroblastoma pediatric cancer they only get four percent funding from the government for research all the big names that you hear about they get the rest of the research money so essentially we have put the this pediatric cancer on our back and we are funding pediatric phase one clinical trials ourselves so we have other champions that we partner with because this is not cheap Uh, but each year we fund a phase one clinical trial which then gives kids that are on their, their, their last leg, the opportunity to receive treatment and hope to find a cure. So again, this, this is for kids that are knocking on, knocking on death's door, we're giving them one last opportunity, which, you know, not a lot of people can say. So it's not run like the clinical trials that you hear about with, you know, uh, all the the drugs that are sold. These are trials that give kids an opportunity. Uh, What we also do is find families that are on hard times because there are only 11 treatment centers in the country for this particular pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. So say the family doesn't live in that city, they have to move.
1: And, fu- and potentially split the family up or like quit their job, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, cash in everything. Everything. So that it could be lost lost time because they have to travel every day, three hours back and forth or they have to move like one family from Anchorage, Alaska, all the way to Memphis, Tennessee for the opportunity to receive treatment in one of the trials. So we had a family reach out to us that moved from Alaska that entered one of the trials. So the treatment was taken care of, but then we provided them uh, money to buy a car now that they could get their family around and help them where they couldn't. So every, every dollar that we can donate to a family in need. That's what we do. So when you purchase a Wade's Army uniform on Wade'sArmy dot org,
1: yeah. So that's how you get involved, people. Wade'sArmy dot org. Well, one way to get involved. Mm-hmm. Wade'sArmy dot Take it, tax.
2: And then we have a brand new twenty seventeen Wade's Army uniform, and uh, all the proceeds again, which is basically all of the donation goes to a family in need, or funding Mm -hmm. the clinical trial, and we give you the opportunity to choose exactly where your donation goes. So this isn't just a a blind giving. It's you select where you want your donation to aid, to help. And
1: that is where it will go. Yes. And that's what's great. Like, I know I've probably said this before, but, dude, we're we're in some shitty times. Like, some people say it's climate change. I don't know if that's true or not. Here's what I do know is true, though, Tex. Flat Earth? that the earth is flat, okay? For one, and two is that we just got fucking smashed here in the states by two fucking hurricanes, right? Yep. And I know one was in Texas, the other's in Florida. And like I want to fucking I do want to help out. You know what I mean? But I don't you know, you go on Google and uh or Facebook and you have an opportunity to like one two clicks you're donated. But I don't fucking trust my, my or even text. Donate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't trust my 100 bucks, my 10 bucks, my whatever I'm going to give. I don't know. I just don't know, and I guess what our listeners or anyone who wants to get involved with this thing and is has the uh, the the cash set aside to buy a shirt for thirty bucks, you what you select is where the fucking money goes. You know that's what's kind of I think is cool about this thing. Now, if you don't have that cash, people, here's what you can do: just follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, Wade's Army. Search us out and help us spread the word. Right. That's at the the very least we'd appreciate that. And then in the grander scheme of things, if you really want to get involved and you really want to party, head out to the symposium. Get yourself a ticket, powerathletehq.com slash symposium, and then uh be, get to know Rob Wolf, get to know Jim Steele, Andy Stumpf, Doctor Dr. Christy Anderson, Ingrid Markham, Raf Ruiz, Lindsay Matthews, Derek Woodsky, Wassa Listen from Move You, Rudy Fucking Reyes, people. You listen to that episode and you're like, what the fuck's this guy's deal? Well, head out. To Austin, Texas, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, and hang the fuck out with Rudy and see what the deal is. Shirtless. Shirtless. And then we also have Bert Soren, Dr. Tom and on Guys, powerathlete.hq.com slash symposium. Get in there. Check it out. Let's party. Now what do you want to talk about, Tex?
2: Well, we can get into these questions or your attempt at reliving your peak in high school with the softball team. Oh, Dude.
1: Listen, Power Athlete Nation, if you are a listener in the Austin area and you think you have what it takes to be a part of my softball team, which is not really mine. We're joining some other guys, but I have a feeling that we're going to go in and dominate
2: 100 percent, whether it's partying or playing.
1: But here's the Here's what we're doing. Like, listen, I haven't played softball in maybe 12 months, maybe a year, maybe 12 months. It's one or the other. okay? And uh I'm gonna have to bang the rust off, you know. Get some reps in, get some reps in. That's what this league's all about. But my my intention is we we collect an, a league of extraordinary gentlemen, and we power focus, athletes. Yes, and we show the world that not only are we athletes, but we are power athletes, and we're gonna rip dingers all over fucking Austin, Texas, men's softball league. I'm gonna say C league, not necessarily A league, because those old guys are fucking forced to be reckoned with. But if we get into that C-League, B-League, mm, I think that's the way to go.
2: We're joining A-League, just I don't know if it's
1: A. It's not the A-League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, people, so if you think you got what it takes, hit us up. You know where to find us. And without further ado, let's get into some of these questions. So here's a call to action, people. We put this out on uh, our Instagram, and the idea is, you know, today we just wanted to talk about movement. Tex and I were in the gym. We were doing this hilarious tug-of-war on Sorenex's glute ham roller. Uh, which I thought was brilliant. I don't know if you did.
2: No, I thought it was great. I wanted to get it on film but
1: <laughs> but who's our cameraman? you know um, and we said, man, you know this is fucking goofy as this is. this has purpose and it's you know there's a lot of shit that is looks looks fucking re- stupid or a lot of shit that looks dialed in and sometimes the dialed in shit is stupid and the stupid shit is dialed in, right? like how goofy do the does a mr fucking you know uh, butterfly look? It looks weird.
2: Oh, super weird!
1: But then, how cool does fucking strapping elastic all over your body and running around and throwing a football look? To some people, you're like, oh, that fucking thing's RoboCop. It's got to work wonders. So we wanted to get in and you know do a, a nice directed battle to bullshit episode or empower performance. However you want to, however these questions really flow in, we're gonna let you know about skill transfer, right? And skill transfer is at, you know, surface level, the concept of not confusing activity for achievement, right? Going through movement and just putting, having work output is exercise. And I'm not, we're not discrediting exercise. Everyone needs to exercise. Okay. (laughs) Like if the, if it were, Hey, exercise or nothing, exercise. Our contention is that the most potent form of exercise and the fastest way to drive adaptation is train like fucking athlete. Lift some heavy weights, run fast, move fast, and move in all directions.
2: Yeah. With intention.
1: Yes. Purposefully.
2: With intention.
1: Purposefully. Meaning not just going out and trying trying to get through these movements, but intentionally paying attention to setup and execution. Performing within certain loads, volumes, intensities, directions, planes of motion, right?
2: Yeah. And and fighting with your 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 most amount to maintain the posture and the position so this isn't just getting one more rep right so this is not freaking setting prs on times for conditioning workouts this is this is not just getting five more pounds on your deadlift when you look like freaking a a dog shitting razor blades to steal (laughs) luke's line
1: well that's actually a lyric from alkaline trio song so
2: I don't know who that is. You could have claimed it as your own. I'm still going to give you credit because I don't know how to pronounce that band, but (laughs) look, it's not just more is what we were trying to get the message across. And this all comes and stems from our, our three P model, purpose, practical and prudent. So should we get into our questions or should we establish the baseline in which we are going to answer these questions? Let's, it all goes back to models and principles.
1: Let's fe- let's close with that. Okay,
2: so we'll we'll weave this to the, together as we do mm-hmm. and connect the dots. You got a question up?
1: Uh, sure, I'll just go with Skutnik.
2: Oh yeah, Skutnik, our guy. We'll see him. All right, this weekend.
1: So, <clears throat> Ben Skutnik, uh Bizarro Hansel says, kind of vague peeps, but uh, probably work. He's heard many differing opinions on best practices with the prowler: uh, empty forward pushes for speed, heavy reverse drags for strength. What is slash r the best practice (parenthesis practice is) for using the prowler slash butcher sled for field court performance? Uh, if you want to branch off to loaded carries too, that'd be cool. Ooh, loaded carries, I like
2: that. That's cool okay so essentially for speed awesome if we look at a prowler this is not sprint training so where i we like the prowler versus attaching resistance bands to your running mechanics a-okay so it's going to effectively teach your athletes the ability to exert force into the ground in a knee up toe up position. let me
1: clarify something you said what what's a-okay
2: between those two for applying the purpose to increase your speed
1: Mm -hmm. okay
2: okay so bands no bueno for increasing speed prowler a-okay but here's why when we get into specifics a prowler is not running so it will not change your running technique but it will improve your ability to exert force into the ground in a knee up toe up position which is part of your sprint and acceleration technique Mm -hmm. so we look at the prowler as a tool for increasing speed you are right so lighter Say the, the, the weight on the prowler is so heavy that you can't move it as fast as you can. It's got to be one of the spieler game image where he puts his head onto the weights to drive it. That, even though he is just grinding, grinding and, grinding and grinding. moving the weight that is on a prowler tool, it's not effectively used to increase his speed. So if we have find an appropriate load to challenge our athlete's speed but not turn it into grinding slow. So... Think minimizing ground contact time, improving your athlete's ability to drive and produce force into the ground in a knee up dorsiflex position. Then we start to see the transfer over to the speed purpose. And then we got, what else did you say? You said drags.
1: Mm -hmm. But now let's
2: just going to. Yeah, we can talk 90 more minutes on the first part.
1: So here's the thing, people, is. It's how it's all about execution, right? So the prowler is a tool, much like a barbell, right? Yes. We use the barbell for various lifts. When we press, it's not the same load as if we squat, right? When we front squat, it's not the same load as if we deadlift. So it's a tool to to utilize to to load or even overload our athlete to challenge posture and position. So if you can think about that, it's not I mean it's getting the prowler from start to finish, yes. But when it's talking, if you're talking about just testing grit or like a gut check, right? Or like you know, a test of your ability to push a prowler, then you can do the James Harrison fucking 45 plates and try to fucking push that thing for six feet, right, Tex? You can, but that's not what that fucking th- that's not not the only use that thing has, and that's what Tex is getting at is. If we can just focus on posture and position, right, that's mm-hmm. paramount in the execution of the prowler, which would be our knee up, toe up, uh, neutral knee position, toe forward, right, dorsiflexion, not a collapsed heel on the ground, and then nice trunk position, not slouched over, getting desperate. Then we're doing it right for something. But then you determine what the something is based off of load, right? distance, time, and these other variables,
2: right? And yeah, even rest in between.
1: Yeah, so so now we're talking for Skutnik, specifically speed work, ground contact time should remember, resemble that with sprinting. Yep. Right. So if you f- notice that your athlete is punching that foot into the ground and it's taking five, six, seven times the amount of time to cycle through, we're not working speed,
2: right? Nope. So it, again, I would just want you to focus on three things. That you when you apply the prowler to your athlete you're going to focus on an athlete's posture and their knee up toe up position so the position of the legs I want their arms extended allowing them to push and maintain trunk stability so we're testing their trunk their tensile strength here uh, with the straight arm so posture position of the lower leg then we're looking at knee up toe up uh, into a proper step up position so we don't want to go a knee so high that it takes away from that posture so focus on their their primal movements and then moving as fast as they freaking can in the proper pattern so we have posture position and patterning mm-hmm. so they do have that knee up toe up that's going to help them off the line help them you know sprint down the court and accelerate and increase the amount of force they can drive into the ground so posture position and patterning
1: and if you're fucking
2: athlete gets so fucking
1: tired that they look like a ribbon wrapped around a fan blade and they're spinning and flopping everywhere. You're missing the patterning component,
2: right? Yeah, or they're kicking their butt and they're going nowhere.
1: Nowhere. But, uh, so, that you know, and dude, it's it's a tool, but specifically for that sprint patterning, that's what it has to look like running. And if you overload to the point where it doesn't look like that, then you can't. And you could even load it up and do like kneeling, explosive, kneeling, hit, punches like i'm thinking like replicating a uh, a kneeling med ball like you could do that with a prowler why not
2: yeah right? or or you could knee up toe up drive 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 and then when you get to the five yarker mark fly
1: yeah yeah evacuate fly
2: and now, then you have the arm swing so
1: now now when you're talking about sled drags let's say reverse sled drag let's start there right are you necessarily working on back pedal mechanics yeah <sighs> I mean, that's kind of a stretch. What's a better way to work on backpedal mechanics, Tex?
2: Uh, Backpedaling? Yeah. Okay.
1: So what you're really working on there is just kind of some, uh, I would just say kind of training. You know, psychology discomfort. You're probably pumping the quads a little bit. Uh, You're working maybe on, you could argue, sitting back in position for backpedaling, but it's not going to be the best thing to do. Now, let's turn around and tow the sled. So sled drags towed, towing, right? So uh, I know a lot of where John likes to throw these suckers in is starting to teach people how to use that posterior chain to pull, pull, and not necessarily pull in uh, in sprinting.
2: Yep, we're not sprinting here. We're just practicing
1: the pull, the pull. And specifically, where he learned a lot of this was through at, with Louis at Westside. Right? Is they Louis had a very specific way he liked to pull the sled that he felt transferred to activating the posterior chain in a squat. And in the deadlift. So they used it as kind of a connection tool there. Right? So it it comes down to how you use it, right?
2: Yeah. So it it would fall in line with essentially our themes for our lower body primal movements in that posterior chain dominance for sure. So an opportunity uh, for moving through space using your posterior chain, It sounds pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. But again, if they have to crawl, they got to lean forward, they lose their posture and they're just all fours on the ground crawling forward. No bueno. If mm-hmm. they're attempting to sprint dragging that sled and then it changes their running mechanics and technique. No bueno. Right. We're misapplying that tool and actually taking away from probably the intended benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Next one barrel forward. Next question. You, are you grabbing it or am I?
2: Oh, I got this one. Oh, well, to to read, but we can both talk about it. Both thoughts on implementing Olympic lifts for youth, up to middle school age. My grad school program was Olympic based, but I have seen since been more keen to use simpler movements in training. Don't need a specific yes or no, just insight. Thanks, guys. Jack Street is awesome.
1: It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, okay. So, tool here is barbell, probably right, and is the Olympic lift. So, with here's the thing. How do I want to start this? Uh, okay, so you're talking about um, like youth Olympic lifting. I'm not mad at it, but realistically, come to come to understand what you're really training here, right? Will these kids be have gone through the maturity, finished growing to? to create permanent, a permanent skill for Olympic lifting. No. Right. And, uh, I guess if you were to place the purpose of what we use that particular tool for the Olympic lifts, traditional Olympic lifts with a barbell, it is to display the strength that we are building through basic or basic closed chain barbell lifts, your squat, press pull, uh, or squat, press bench pull. Yeah. Deadlift. Right to display that bilateral strength dynamically, and that's like that's where it starts your ability to recruit and display that strength dynamically, recruit it quickly, and yeah, maybe move a little bit around the bar while maintaining posture and position. Okay, so I guess, uh, yeah, let's use it, and you can start to pattern it, but don't pretend uh, like the kids are gonna get stronger, but it comes from. Coordination. Yeah, that's what I was going to. So it's going to be mostly a neurological change that allows mechanics to effectively and efficiently move more weight. But um, but that's that's a skill that really is going to help them if through the rest of their training life cycle, right? Because that tends to be late adopters. One of their the hardest things to, to figure out is how to adequately Olympic lift. But the caveat here, Coach Hamsley, is you're doing it correctly. Right now, I feel like Tex, you tell me, but I feel like Olympic lifting might be a, for like, let's say, let's say a multi-year early adoption Olympic lifters is kind of a lot like sprinting where at first you hit these, these fundamental landmarks that are for most people. It's how they, it's how they execute the lift. Right, or the coach's philosophy. But as reps and reps and reps and thousands and thousands of reps present themselves and as the athlete grows, literally grows, into their final, I don't know, anthropometric form, which is like basically fancy way like arms hit their length, hips, whatever, uh, they're going to adopt the specific form and mechanics that work best for them for those lifts. Yes. Right? Just like uh, sprinting. So... Uh, Text you take it from here, but, you know, we what we do with young sprinters is, hey, knee up, toe up, pull, punch and hammer, 90-90. Just kidding. Cheek to cheek, okay? But we're, an example of that is that 90-90 arm bend, right? So 90-degree elbow, and then 90- Throughout the arm swing. Throughout that was the this, arm swing.
2: Yeah, this comes from Michael Johnson, 1996 gold medalist, and the best in the world. If it works for him, clearly it's got to work for everybody, right?
1: But it just so happened- That he grew into that specific technique and it was optimal for
2: him. Correct.
1: So that's where like, you know, I just can't when it comes to like the sports of like the barbell sports techs and people have these fucking debates on this most superficial bullshit is like they're basing it off the success of another fucking athlete.
2: An Olympian.
1: Right. And specifically someone who has gone through the decades of training to acquire the form that best works for them. And the fucking people who are arguing this, and let's first off, let me go ahead and tell you something people. I'm not that fucking guy. I haven't I haven't dedicated my life to a single lift. Period. So I'm not that guy. I can't tell you I like I am not an expert what I can fucking tell you is it doesn't matter. Nothing matters, right? Just kidding. What I can tell you is these these arguments are straw strawman arguments because it's irrelevant because we have to take into account the individual and what works best for them. Right? So this whole high bar, low bar, he, you know, and here's our answer. When people come into this shit is like, first off we say, hang on, are you a power lifter or are you a weight lifter? Okay. What techniques allows you to, to do the most amount of weight on testing day? Sounds great. Let's do that. Right? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to with those fucking sports right. is what rehearsable mechanical pattern allows you to consistently drive adaptation or increase numbers because that's the test in those sports. Now, when we work with those athletes though, and they come in to work with us, our, our methodology and our platform is some of the parts. Correct. So when those people start to lunge and they start to step and we start to do sprints and other things to improve neural, neural demand and neural efficiency... They're gonna do it our way, but when it comes to lifting the weight, their weight, they're doing it their way. Does that make sense? And that's that's the division between sport and strength and conditioning.
2: Correct. And this is a sport. So, uh, based off the age group for your answer.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot where we're going. <laughs> Sorry I'm that, gonna people.
2: provide some some small direction. So this is Coach Hamsley. We're talking uh, youth up to middle school age. So they are gonna grow. So the coordination and pattern that you are developing at the time, it will change. But guess what you're going to develop? So I suggest you can go ahead and do this, but include some lunging, include some unilateral movement in there, include some sprinting, some change of direction, some backpedal, and some games in here. Don't just uh, spend the time that you do have with your athletes doing the three movements of the sport of Olympic weightlifting. But I need you to focus on developing these. So not using the Olympic lifts to develop these, not just developing the Olympic lifts. So mm-hmm. what I want you to focus on there, they're called coordination abilities. So adaptive ability, your ability to adjust and execute a task and anticipate a change in movement. So this could be taking the action of a split jerk and then just doing a jerk. Right. So a, a bilateral versus the unilateral. So the dip drive doesn't change. So if you can get your athletes to practice on again, lunge, hip hinge, different movements there, that's going to work on their adaptive ability, which will help them in no matter what sport they want. Right? So, uh, just to name off a few balance, uh, orientation, reactiveness, and all these different things like rhythm that will help them in other sports. So you're practicing and using the Olympic lifts to develop these for your youth. But I'm probably don't expect it to be a barbell. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be a PVC pipe mm-hmm. and then, or
1: maybe like a weighted PVC. Yeah. Just you know, n- working up uh, the proverbial, like, you know, coach B tells a story about with Bo and his kids, how it started with PVC, right? Then a broomstick, then like slowly and slowly they start tinkering up, but sorry, Tex, go ahead.
2: No. And then again, this, this goes back to, especially our stance on running. Okay. So when we do teach different running mechanics and techniques, we're attacking low hanging fruit or arm swing, Knee up position, toe position, foot, all this good stuff. But we're also providing the opportunity for the athletes to sprint. So, again, coaches love to bias their program, bias what they give to their athletes, and do what they love. So whether that's powerlifting, Olympic lifting, even a jack street in there. But the one thing we know is common across all sports is going to be speed and footwork. So we give no no matter our biases, no matter the athlete is training for volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, whatever, we provide the opportunity to sprint to master all these coordinative abilities and then find their specific technique because running technique, I'm sure it's the same with Olympic lifting if we get Spitz on here and have the conversation with him. That you cannot predetermine an athlete's running technique. That's what I was looking to say. Cannot predetermine, I'm sure, their Olympic lifting technique. It's something that they must discover, but we as coaches can attack low-hanging fruit, mechanical technique, things like that, and then put them in a position to discover what's optimal for them on the on their own.
1: Bingo. bango, Boom. But I bet you, you know what, maybe with Olympic lifting, you could probably force— because it's not a very, listen, you guys are going to fucking hang me. I get it. But it's not a very complex movement in the grand scheme of all movement, right? No. It's jumping with a fucking barbell in your hand. Now, can it be complex when you were, when you were going, when you were West kids and you're approaching world-class, the tiniest adjustments may make or break, right? So in, it is a careful and well-rehearsed movement that must be perfect I get it, people. I understand, and I understand that. But it's not that complicated.
2: But don't give wet's kisses, Pro- program to your middle schoolers.
1: Bingo. And I guess it, what I'm curious of, and maybe we do have spits back on, or at least fucking phone a friend yeah. or something. But like, maybe you can force a, a, a technique onto a kid if it just starts that way, um, it, assuming they don't grow like. They don't grow out of it, you know. I'm thinking like hip bang versus fucking no hip bang. Well, shit oh, like well, that.
2: I'm thinking deeper. Like there, there is theoretically a perfect golf swing, but mm-hmm. it's impossible to replicate because we're all individuals. Mm-hmm. Also, the same with pitching technique. Mm-hmm. So there is ideal ways to go about this, but then you have outliers like uh Lince, Lincecum and freaking Barry Zito and all these guys that have found peak success. Philip Rivers a quarterback he throws some awkward you try to change his technique he's no longer Philip Rivers
1: right so maybe it's both i will never know uh barrel forward barreling alright I'm going Ray Reed Johnny Wadd. yeah I, haven't, I don't even know what the question is I'm going with it
2: we, we can still answer it
1: yeah sure I followed Johnny Wadd, and uh so people Johnny Wadd is uh the redheaded stepchild of power athlete right it's uh Basically, it's a program that just likes to party. You know, it's the drunk uncle that shows up at Christmas, takes his pants off, maybe talks some racist shit. And you're like, oh, Uncle Johnny Wad, here we go. And, you know, it's all well-intended. He just doesn't know any better. So Johnny Wad's about kind of burning it it down, getting that Johnny bod going. And, uh, you know, not as much as a performance perspective. However, when we coach and when we do uh, Johnny Wad and coach athletes or clients who are going through Johnny Wad, guess what we fucking tell them to train like? athletes okay so johnny wad uh wondering what would be the best way to implement strongman specific movement into the programming every now and then uh every now and then for example atlas stones yoke walks axle bar log etc love what you guys are doing and keep up the amazing work and empowering others so if you're following the johnny wad we're uh you know you have a solid periodized strength and uh and conditioning uh I guess undulating kind of periodization. Like it, you'll be able to train hard and trade hard frequently, right? That's the beauty behind it. That's why fucking thousands of people are following it and love it, okay? When you start throwing this shit in on top, you compromise that, right? So I guess what I would get at, you know, and I'm kind of speaking on behalf of John because John programs all this shit. But if you're going to pick up some stones, right, Um, do it on your deadlift day in lieu of deadlifts. Right. Or in lieu of any sort of uh, like full, like if you're going to shoulder stones then do it in lieu of any sort of, uh, you know, clean or Olympic style, like sandbag work. Right. Uh, if you want to do yo carries, farmer carry days, things like that, like try to find things that best rep- represent them.
2: So I'm looking at these as skills because they certainly are right. There are specific techniques to optimize your performance. So Wednesday would be your skill day so you are off from training let me tell you how to attack skill work low heart rate just break these movements down into pieces and then focus on the pieces and then connecting those pieces but this is not very high intensity this is not going johnny wad on these movements and skills you were just breaking them down and practicing them then on saturdays
1: that's when you can light it up
2: that's when you light it up so you take off again from the weight room but you focus on these specific things but you need to push and challenge that skill under stress.
1: But I guess if you start throwing this shit in and you start noticing like you'd feel like dog shit run over twice on a fucking Tuesday and you don't usually feel that way, odds are you might be, you just might be fucking it up or maybe life got in the way or who knows. But the, the, I don't, this is not a fucking green light for everyone to jump in and start adding whatever the fuck they want into their programming on top, Right. You want to fuck around with some things, do it, but don't go, don't go balls deep. And then when you want to burn yourself down on it, uh, if you see an opportunity to sub out for similar volume and tonnage, do it. If you don't fuck around on a Saturday, let's see what's up. Right. And, uh, you know, that's what we tell for, for the most part, you know, a lot of our, our military guys, they have PT considerations that put them out in that three mile run range, right. Which is really 15 fucking minutes for me. <laughs> I just did the math. That's not accurate. That is 20 minutes, right? So I think, what what was it? Do you remember the PT standard is like 18 and a half minutes or some shit like that? It's six minute miles Yeah, or so dude, so here's the thing. So think within, you know, if you are going to throw that type of shit in, that 20, 30 minutes of potentially pushing yourself uh, through a different energy system than what's typically found in the training, which is primarily glycolytic, ATP, short, hard, heavy, fast. Um, the time for that is Saturdays. Right. And uh, depending on how badly you need it, perhaps even Wednesdays, like tech said, but you have to understand that's going to affect your ability to hit the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday cadence, or however you are placing your program, your, uh, or spacing your training out throughout the week. Right.
2: Yeah. But if this is a training goal, then maybe you take six, 12 weeks, try this way, but this is not the way. See how that affects. If you have to take some pieces out to master your skill what you're training for, your goal, your sport at that time. Then uh, cut back some, I guess, conditioning volume on one of those days and see how that affects your sport. Barreling forward, Tex. Barrel. You got it? Uh, Coach Clemente. Do Do it. Do it. Specifically for those in the private sector. In regards to using Olympic lifts like the clean or the snatch for developing power in high school athletes, do you think we should be using less technical and more time-efficient methods that accomplish similar goals, i.e., dumbbell jumps? Or is it our duty to help them master these highly technical skills to reduce the risk of injury when they do go back to their school for training?
1: That's interesting.
2: This is a great question. Well, that's all we have time for today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: good question, man. Uh, so that's that's a judgment call, right? Um, I guess if you know the the school that we coached at Newport Harbor, their football program was very centered on Olympic lifting, and Fisher came from that. Remember our intern Fisher? Yeah. I
2: don't believe you. Yeah.
1: In his Olympic lifts were dog shit. So he had four years of dog shit Olympic lifting. And guess what happened when he fucking came in and tried to pretend to Olympic lift in front of us? You laughed in his face. Yeah, and we fired him. And he didn't leave, so he learned how to Olympic lift, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, man. I mean, here's the thing. I think that you could probably trick a high school coach into believing... Like, what if you just taught proficiency in the power clean, right? So semi-technical, but less technical. In my opinion, easier to coach. We've coached a lot of kids to do them quickly, pretty effectively. And when I say effectively, it means they get a good vertical pull, right? They're able to display that strength dynamically, vertically, which is what we're looking for as a like the starting point.
2: And their catch position is toes forward, a universal athletic position.
1: Yes, and what makes this, this lift... A valuable training tool is it allows us to best replicate that universal athletic position in a force reduction opportunity, which is the receiving position. Right, Texas? So that's what he's talking about. Best replicate people, not exactly match. Now, uh, I think yeah, you just you spend some time doing that, but you know you don't spend all day doing that, right? So that the, what people miss on this, on a lot of this shit, is they try to go this accelerated skill acquisition route, which is going to vary from kid to kid. But if you consistently are working on this by reducing your movement selection for amateur athletes, which fundamentally should be the objective when you're talking about first year, year and a half of adoption of training, you shouldn't have a movement selection of fucking sixty different skilled movements, right? You pick five or six very fundamental foundational movements and you accessorize with variations of primals, okay? If you want to see how this is done brilliantly, that's what our bedrock program is. It's building proficiency in the fundamental movements of which my man, Clemente, is our power clean, right? At the very least. But then, you know, let's say you have a coach text. Let's put it this way. You got a coach who loves the snatch. It's the pinnacle of athleticism.
2: For the high school coach or the Mm -hmm. private? So, essentially, then we go back to our 3P model. And you, all of a sudden, you take on the injury prevention role. So, you become the prudent coach in this situation because – and your purpose changes with this athlete because they're there for football. They're there for baseball. They're there for their sport, right? And they're applying the high school weightlifting with the intention of transferring to the field, but it's clearly not because it's putting them at risk. So you then would have to take on the role of the prudent coach and you would have to teach them to essentially catch and reduce force in the clean position in the universal athletic position. You'll teach them to catch and receive a snatch in the universal athletic position. So you are essentially doing damage control before it even begins. But again, like Luke said, I would just take your time with your athlete, right? Because you only get one time a week, an hour. You only get two hours a week. You get a limited impact when a high school coach has five hours a week or more. And you just do damage control. So you're attacking limiting factors that would that an athlete will face in the weight room. And you just have to establish a connection with them to make sure that they're going to catch in these positions, their universal athletic position. They're going to squat in their universal athletic position because it'll help prevent injury and optimize skill transfer to the field, no matter what their sport coach says. So their coach will probably ask them to squat toes out or ask them to jam their ass into a box for the squat. They're not going to do that. They're just going to do the old yes coach and then not do it. Mm -hmm. But guess what's going to happen? They're going to be able to perform. They're going to be able to stay healthy. And that's truly what a sport coach cares about. So if maybe in the weight room, they're not listening, no change there, name a kid that can't, you know that that will 100% be able to take on the cues of every coach it's impossible so this is just one of those cases but then that athlete he knows better he's going to squat toes forward when he goes to practice he's going to be able to perform and then make the coachable connections and then do what he's told and that's where he will have impact with the sport coach not the weight room and gets playing time so boom yeah so damage control prudent coach
1: but let's say you're not in that scenario, and you just know generally, eventually these kids are going to need to know how to Olympic lift, you throw it in like any other developmental skill. And if the goal is, you know, the kid has absolute dog shit, like just cannot figure out the barbell Olympic lifts, do we throw in dumbbell jumps?
2: How do they catch?
1: <laughs> right, and that's what it all comes down to with a lot of the the jumping style is the receiving position or force reduction phase of this thing. So maybe dumbbell jumps. I don't know. Maybe, you know, like a weight vest and some some low-volume jumping and catching, assuming posture and position looks good, right? Things like jam squats to train that. We just had that on
2: Masters Yes. Movement. So there, we have a whole series of essential what we refer to as non-contact plyometrics. So these train your athletes and educate them how to land in a catch in a safe receiving position to train their alignment. So the proper alignment and then the action that the muscles need to take to reduce those forces. So when we land in a jump, I don't expect them to, you know, catch with their heels underneath their hips and drive their knees out, right? We want them to catch with their knees over their arches, their insteps in a nice wide A-frame and then train them to push their butt back to load their whole posterior chain versus just the quads. Like say you're landing and then your knees shoot forward, your chest stays stays vertical, then your quads are taking on the brunt force. Expect some knee pain somewhere down the line. Okay, so we're essentially training a, a whole system here and again. How I would take the the full on role of the prudent coach is to teach my athletes how to move, and we got five basic barbell movements, you know, on bedrock combined with lunges and step ups that mm-hmm. essentially take care of that for you.
1: Boom, smashed the text,
2: smashed. All right,
1: you got the next one,
2: Kevin D Bryant. I haven't pre-screened this question, so right. I don't know. What's yeah, coming. do it. All right, to what extent? Would you guys, I'm going to change that. What extent would y'all recommend implementing agility work into a program? Is it better suited as a warm-up? How often should it be programmed? And what are some best ways or tools such as ladders or dot drills you found useful for agility work? This is a great question.
1: Yeah, it is because, you mind if I just kind of go with my Go, 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 go. So here's the thing. Kevin D, my man, so, uh, everything's agility work. Everything. Literally the, so within our, within the, our context, right? We, we replicate the positions you will, that are optimal for nonlinear movement, AKA agility, right? The, uh, bo- the
2: body positions,
1: body That's positions. Me. I'm sorry. No. Thanks, Tex. So when we squat and the way we want you to squat toes forward, knees over the instep is to start to build default positions and patterns for the complex system of nonlinear movement, sprinting through space, making a cut, uh, grabbing a ground ball, scooping it, and throwing it in men's league softball, right? So that superficially, everything is agility work. Everything is speed work, right? Those are the two components that we are focusing on in terms of athleticism. They are absolutely paramount. They are the catalyst of athleticism, right? Your ability to accelerate, decelerate, and accelerate again. Various planes of motion, effortlessly, seamlessly, So that's like the, hopefully, like the mind-blowing, right? But now, when we get away from this, I don't want to call it superficial. That's really the deep meaning of training, right? This deep approach to really how we set up and execute almost every freaking movement. Uh, Our agility work starts with our dynamic movement prep, which is working on uh, the the modulating of tension so let's call it uh, our tensile strength right in all planes of motion and then movement patterns with tension smooth seamless effortless and we start to just fucking danielson wax on wax off right but then if it's an agility day and we're throwing in agility drills i mean is that what we, yeah right let's well, call it whatever um we basically go through that scaffolding or chunking model right So letters become words, words become sentences, sentence paragraphs, paragraphs, chapters, chapters, novels, novels, hit series like the Fast and the Furious. Okay. So then we start with our simple steps, the universal steps that people are going to be doing for the rest of their lives in athletics. You talk about, you talk with John specifically, he'll talk about how he did the same footwork drills in high school that he did in this fucking 10th year of the NFL. These are the things that will always, always, always exist. And this is our... Simple open step, crossover step, uh, or forward step, and, uh, and, and various combos, various planes of motion, directions, right? So we have some some lateral step catch drills. We have some lateral crossover step catch drills. We, we do all these little just step steps, right? And that's really priming the movement pattern. That's our, our most coachable opportunity for these kids is to, to really focus on the, the just the nuance. This is the nuance time. And then we slowly, and you could call this a warm up, right? Because it's it's starting to increase that central nervous system efficiency, right? Or arouse the central nervous system. It's increasing our heart rate. Uh, the thermogenic response to activity is occurring. All and the these temperature of the chili. Yeah, chili is increasing in temperature. Okay, um, their lactate, their muscles are becoming moist with lactate things are happening biologically that we want for a warm up but superficially we're also starting to pattern and reset default and, uh, positions and, and build what we would call good habits or unfuck bad habits right so yeah then you still need to integrate that into the eventual training day text
2: take it so i like this word that you asked and led off with extent what extent would you recommend implementing agility work?
1: Balls deep.
2: And Luke said it. This, everything we do is agility work. So, again, go back to our definition of athleticism. And Luke said it, just piece by piece, somewhere in there. But listen for it. Press rewind one minute on your iTunes. So, the ability to seamless and effortlessly... Combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task. So the extent that we would recommend implementing agility work is everything. So our primal movements, this is going to be key. That's going to be our hip hinge or squat. Then we have our our lunge, forwards, and our step up. And then when we talk about scaffolding, well, we're going to break in. Those are pieces. Then we talk about agility work. It's combining a hinge, a lunge, and a step. So before our athlete can proficiently do agilities to the best of their ability, we're going to teach them how to squat. We're going to teach them how to lunge. We're going to teach them how to step up, which are all components and pieces of a warm up. And then when we do strength work, guess we're adding resistance to squat, step lunge. And then when we do condo or we do some just volume runs
1: like condo RDO.
2: then we are challenging an athlete's ability to combine X, Y, Z through space so, where you say drills, we just say movement, tasks. Opportunity, yeah. Yeah, tasks to complete. So, even their sport, if you think about whatever sport that is, that's agility work. It's just now you have to think about executing a skill. Mm-hmm. Well, we are just minus that skill.
1: So, an example, I, you know, an obs- maybe an obscure example, and I, we'll come back into this text, is what we were just doing with the fucking jammers on Sorenecks. The Unilateral crossover rotational fucking snatch or whatever. Put it on your Instagram and listen, people go look at McQuoken at McQuoken and look at fucking Tex do these funny looking rotational snatch drills, right? But we're combining primal movements through the transverse plane and the position that Tex is deliberately catching and pulling from is the exact position that we use to reverse inertia, aka agility, right? So, like, it, it, it's everything. And, um, But I guess, you know, if we're talking about just kind of layout of... Did you want to keep going more on yours, Tex?
2: Everything is everything. Uh, But, yeah, again, I don't want you to just do agility work with your guys. Mm -hmm. Because that is is a waste of fucking time, and you're just exercising. And you are going to do more disservice than good. I need you to begin with the universal athletic position. So get your athlete's toes forward. From there, you set up their knees in line with their arches, their insteps. And then you teach them to push their butt back. So not a chest-up-ready position. Ask them to box out if they play basketball or if they play tennis, they're ready to return to serve. If they play volleyball, ready to return to serve. Just a, a ready position with their toes forward and knees over the insteps. steps. From there, they need to change direction to challenge that position. Could be left, could be right, could be backwards, could be forwards. And that's the start of your jilly work. Now, when they do step left, right, forwards, whatever, did they catch back in their athletic position? If not, then they need to adjust and make sure they're turning it into a pattern. Once they can do simple step and catches in all directions, then we start to add two steps or start to change direction. You're going to step right, then left. So you add complexity to it. But if they can't get the simple one step, and you may think that is below you or your athletes, well, if you ever played a sport, no matter your level, just like Luke said, you always begin with the fundamentals, period. It doesn't matter if you're NFL or freaking Division III All-Star your season starts with the fundamentals and we are just adding that opportunity in the weight room to maximize your ability to move through space and then set you free when you do get to the field.
1: But the kid's got to run and that's where that's where your volume intensity run comes in, right? So this is really about, you know, if you were to talk about an integration technique, right? Uh, integrating... All this stuff together, my man, is going to be like, you know. Here's what I will tell you, you know. And this this is actually going to come up. I might save it for two more questions. Text.
2: Well, make sure you write it down. No, I'll remember. What is it?
1: Uh, it's a it's on the Bosch question. Fran Bosch. We'll get to it. But uh, barrel forward. Hey, so Kevin, keep if you're listening to this or you guys, anyone who's interested about implementing agility work in the program. Keep listening. We're gonna come back. We're gonna come back to this as a potential example. Cool. So I'm gonna barrel forward onto Gonzo. All right. So this is kind of like the Dan John. I think he might be a Dan John guy. Okay. Um, Would you consider trunk rotation, twist, or even extension, inflection as a primal movement? If you don't, what's up with that? If you do, what's up with that? How would you implement it?
2: So we go one step down for our primal movements. So whether it's a rotation or a twist, what position are your hips in when you rotate or twist? Are they in kind of a, a an X hinge position? Imagine uh, three axes of rotation back to geometry.
0: I'm, sure, not, I'm not a math guy.
2: Oh, I never made it that far, but uh, so are your hips in a hinge position or are they rotating when you throw? Um, are they going to tilt left or right? It's going to be kind of a, like a, a lateral ball slam or just a any time of rotational throw, your hips are going to be in different primal movements. So we, when we talk about primals, we go fundamentals one step below that. So then our ability to move our primals, our hips through space, whether it's the transverse plane, the frontal plane or the sagittal plane for those throws, that's where we look at throwing. It's going to be, movement through space but then one step down what position are hips in so yeah so your rotation
1: is just going to be a a motor pattern right a movement way how you can execute primals through space right it's the process of really separating shoulders from hips and a way to connect and disconnect primal movements okay so it's just it's ways to challenge your trunk orientation through primal movement. So it's it becomes kind of a stressor, just like the frontal plane, just like the sagittal plane.
2: Yeah, and if you are a big Dan, jo- Jan- Dan John guy, I have an announcement. On January 13th, Saturday in Austin, Texas, at the University of Texas, uh, there will be a small group of speakers. Very prestigious. Very prestigious speakers going for University of Texas Strength and Conditioning Clinic. And you'll have Dan John, Brett Bartholomew, Myself and then a few other speakers. So if you want to meet Dan John in person.
1: Look at that. Tex McQuil can rubbing elbows with fucking the industry's finest.
2: Yeah, and listen to a speak. I'll be talking about freaking uh building and integrating ACL prevention programs yeah. into your warm up. So
1: because it's and we gotta change it because we've recently found out the earth is flat, so the old stuff doesn't work. No?
2: Sure. So January thirteenth. <laughs> Uh, University of Texas, Austin, do it.
1: Pow. All right. Um, you want to got Watt Are You Doing? You want to get this guy? Yeah. Do First
2: it. off, bro, Watt is out. Condo Audio is in. Condo Are You Doing sounds so much better. Okay. <clears throat> do y'all have any sort of opinion on skill work yep. as conditioning? Yes. Yes. Drills, i.e. drills performed at intensities and durations that make it conductive to a conditioning workout. Benefits, drawbacks. Conducive. I come from a wrestling background, and I am joining the club team at my school as a 23-year-old senior and want to be able to provide valuable insight on our conditioning work at practices. Uh, He says, Jack Street is a killer. I don't know if you want a Jack Street as a wrestler.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe he needs to get up a class.
2: Oh, maybe. What are you, 120?
1: <laughs> mm, I don't know. Me?
2: Yeah. Kilos. Okay. <laughs> uh, Luki, you, you're jumping all over this. Well,
1: here's the thing. is It's not skill work if it's Condardio, right? Um, every, so the, the emotional, spiritual, the conscious um, dedication to perfectly executing movement and skill work is the same that you put in during conditioning. The only problem is as you start to increase strength, you start to lose the ability to control that, right? That doesn't mean that's that boiling point we talk about, right? So we never push beyond that boiling point where posture, position, coordinative abilities, ideally in training, fall apart. Those are the stresses that come in competition, right? And we just, it, it's a risk factor to try to replicate that with some of, with certain movements in training, Right? So like if you want to really fucking push, really or uh, you know loosen up the bolts and tear someone down, uh, we would do that on something like an air nine or a versa climber, right? No eccentric loading pattern. It's a fixed uh, movement pattern on a stationary machine, and you can literally try to light that motherfucker on fire, and pr- and for the most part stay in the safe zone, right? Now if that's talking about work exertion, uh, uh, pushing pushing that threshold, that psychology of discomfort. What we wouldn't recommend doing it on is snatches at fucking 85%, right? Like that, it's it's defeats the purpose. It's a delicate pattern. You start to bastardize and compromise it and you're not getting skill anymore. It's an application of the skill, right? So let's break down our working definition. What we acknowledge as skill work within training, okay? This is something done with a submaximal heart rate. So boom, we've already ditched that requirement of skill work because it's condo audio, heart rates up, right? It is a compound movement broken down into fundamental parts, a reduction of a complex movement and working on kind of like positional work and then piecing it together as well. Like just working through different phases, trying to find where the, the screws are loose and address that issue right now. Like uh, this is bar work in your Olympic lifts. This is a lot of our step catch drills and our change of direction. This is. But this still is at a sub-maximal load or effort, right? As not to increase our heart rate, criteria one. Um, And within skill work, we're talking specifically about movements or training movements that are in the box, the proverbial box, the gym, right? So there is also sports skill. And these are the things that are done for your on-field performance, have direct, not an indirect connection because everything is skilled by nature, Skill transfer is the indirect application of movement that is going to help you perform on sport. The direct transfer would be doing your sport and the skills associated with your sport. Right, Tex?
2: Yeah. Practice. mm
1: -hmm. But uh, what did I miss there?
2: Nothing. But with, you know, sports skill work, this is where things get interesting. Again, compound movement broken down. If you want to help, your team develop, right, personally, then you need to work on their abilities that will improve their ability to wrestle. So, that's again squat, step, lunge. It could be ankles, it could be shoulders, it could be other limiting factors, their spatial orientation.
1: Mm -hmm. Throwing, like the throwing patterns, which are just combinations of squat, step, lunge, rotation, Mm -hmm. right, push-pull.
2: And leave it to your sport coaches to get better at sport, okay? So, if you have a conflicting view on how a skill should be executed, it is not your place or time to take charge and change how an athlete does it personally. That's on the sport coach. But what you can do is change how they condition and prepare and do skill work. So orientation in space, that's going to be a big one, especially for wrestling. You got to know exactly where you are or else you're fucked, right? It's like a goalie in any sport. If you don't know where you are, you're going to be taken full advantage of and then could you know uh, lose your sport. So orientation in space footwork, uh, different things like that that will help your ability to wrestle but are not wrestling skill specific.
1: And, you know, wrestling is one of those uh, sports techs where it's – Is conditioning? Yeah, it is. And, it you know, this is where, I don't know, like I, you, be, you are what you practice, right? So if you start to fucking put your guys – and this is just a general – I'm not saying you, okay, Matt? I'm saying, and I'm not saying all you wrestlers out there, but think back to your wrestling practices. It was just burn you down and fucking repetitive movement, repetitive movement. But what there's very little balance of, and I'm not saying all programs, okay? But my observation, because I hung out with a bunch of those wrestler fucking dudes in college, one of which was Bo Columbo, right? My observation is a lot of the training lacked what we would call intensity, Right? Recovering maximally before you go through a movement, a shoot, a throw to start to work on increasing your your top end capacity or capability to do a a more violent or quicker version of a movement. Right. Because if all you're doing is sub maximal repetitive movement patterns in the form of conditioning, guess what you're going to learn how to do. You're going to learn how to do that slowly and at submaximal efforts right? No one will have, very rarely does someone rise to the occasion, right? They're going to fall to the level of their training. So if you can start to balance some of those skills or those types of movement patterns to focus on more predominantly, you know, unlocking that neurological efficiency with intensity work, then you're going to find yourself being a faster, more powerful version of yourself on the mat. Does that make sense, Tex? Absolutely.
2: Wax on, wax off.
1: Pow. So I guess drawbacks. Okay. So benefits. None. Well, I shouldn't say none. I don't... Benefits, we have a hard time finding any benefit that outweighs the drawbacks. The drawbacks are the high heart rate and stresses of trying to concurrently do this is you're just doing a decent job at best.
2: And you're going to create poor habits. So while you're doing the work...
1: You risk creating poor habits.
2: I, I would argue you will. But you risk, will... Uh, develop bad habits, and then it gives, and this is where I I take a hard stance against skill work under a high heart rate or high stress, that you will create an illusion of preparedness. So you are putting in the effort, you are putting in the work, but then you step into the ring on the mat, and you're going to fucking lose. So despite your efforts, you were doing it, you were misapplying the tools, and then it costs you performance. So where coaches don't understand that and try to apply it, it really, Gets my chili hot because then, and this why we said in the post why mental strength training, right? That's when strength coaches or excuse me, sport coaches try to bring in military people to put through mental toughness. It's the same as misapplying uh, skill work here with a high heart rate because you are going to give the illusion of preparedness. And what you aim to accomplish a purpose, you are going to miss the mark. So set time aside for skill work, just as I am sure your sport co- your sport coaches do. But when you do skill work for your guys, take away from conditioning, spend more time investing in your orientation and space and challenging your footwork and different, uh, different skills under a low heart rate compound movements broken down. Uh, a quick, quick, I got a quick answer for this one. Matt link asks thoughts on Franz Bosch strength in coordination and an integrative approach. So a huge Franz Bosch guy, if you. If I recommend uh, any book, right, this is going to be it or Franz Bosch running. So you got super training, yes, but these two, um, I guess, easier reads. But, uh, but essentially tie in a lot of the principles that we discuss, especially when it comes to specificity and uh, the points that we teach for optimizing skill transfer. Uh, you will find them in Bosch's work. So recommend it. It ain't cheap. So if you buy it, you better fucking read it.
1: <laughs> so then uh, are you going to answer the question?
2: For Matt, one Matt Link? Mm-hmm. I just did. Thoughts? Buy it. Yeah, buy it. So,
1: so give a synopsis.
2: Give a synopsis. So in particular, when it comes to skill transfer and specificity, this is where our principle uh, and how we teach it is, is breaks down. So where we have skill transfer as our purpose of our goal of a lot of our training, especially anything we do with a, a barbell, this is going to be, one, our external structure. So how we make sure that it, it carries over to our sport is going to be in our setup. So the position in which we apply external load, that's our external structure, so like squatting in our toes forward athletic position with the knees over the insteps. So that 100% is in line with the specificity and the external structure then we get into the internal structure this is going to be our muscle action during our movements so we apply to uh you know fred hatfield's compensatory acceleration train fast be fast well if we look at sport volleyball basketball lacrosse football everything you know the fastest athlete has the greatest opportunity to succeed so guess what we're going to do we're going to train fast be fast we're going to train our athletes whether it's underneath a barbell or Conditioning that they're going to move as fast as they can maximal velocity there So we want our muscle our positions our muscle actions in which we're training to be replicable of the Sport demand right and then finally we get into the metabolic demands. So this is again train fast be fast We're training at maximal velocity. So whether it's a a 30 second hockey player, right? um shift player, I'll just call them, so shift sports like lacrosse and hockey, you're out there for 30 seconds, one minute max, you need to go balls out as fast as you fucking can, and then you get to rest for three minutes, so your conditioning must be replicable, representative uh, representative of the demand of the sport, so when we talk about squatting, right, well, sport like football, sports like volleyball, I'm one, and then I have to catch in a safe position, and then maybe replicate for two, so we need our ATP to really just be be driving there. So we're setting up and taking a look at our sport, our positions, the demands there, and then having our movements in the setup and the execution and the energy system to maximize the skill transfer there. So uh, all that comes from uh, Bosch again. So uh, breakdown specificity, you will find it in there. I highly, highly recommend Fran Bosch as a, a read if you want to really. Uh, get a good background uh, for strength and conditioning.
1: Now let's make the, conde- the connection between the previous question about agility into our program. We just did. Right. So it's the idea guys that
0: uh,
1: from the start to the finish, as you talk about the, what text just outlined as our three components of skill transfer. Everything we do goes back to that moment. You need to do something at the hyper velocity of your sport and The most advantageous position to do almost everything is what we call our universal athletic position, right? So that ultimately is how we get to just hang our hat on. Hey, you should be going maximal extent on your uh, agility implementation.
2: Does that track text in the proper setup? So not just going Mm -hmm. fast, doing it proper, and doing it. Mm -hmm. And
1: guys, when you start to unleash your athletes in conditioning and in cardio in condardio, in sprints, in agility, like it's time to say, say go, and you're going. That's a test of the training, right? That's where we get to see if the skills and drills are starting to catch. And if they're not, guess what it means? They're fucking not. And you have to figure out a way to make sure they start catching, right? Um, And I guess what I was going, I don't know how I was going to get to this point, but I'm just going to Just jump into it is, you know, we have a set of our warmups, our diagnostics and all this shit that, you know, uh, that we have people do to really suffer. And a lot of stuff we're covering masters of movement, right? Our, our, our diagnostic tools, we observe and listen, go ahead call it bro science. I don't give a fuck dude. Okay. But we observe as you improve your ability to hold and move through various dead bug positions side pillar positions, your Captain Morgan series, right? As you can effortlessly lunge, twist, lateral lunge, recover, these little, just little fucking ways we warm people up as uh, the, um, the some of the open step, crossover step things just look start to look easier and smoother. Guess what fucking happens to performance overall in training and on the field? You get faster, you get more powerful, your numbers, quote unquote, go up, right? And this is even when people have been fucking doing this shit for years. They've been lifting weights and wadding for years, right? Like, what are you even talking about? I'm talking about wadding for years. We start to improve their ability to manage their attention and move and isolate movements. And when they start to piece them together, what happens, Tex? Shit, ma- like magic. Literally, people think we're voodoo, voodoo doctors. And it's just about having the right amount of of that warm-up it's just it, it's about understanding the specificity of these positions and connecting the positions to everything we do in our training right that's what i was kind of getting at barreling forward let's get i feel like we we need a little like energy we need like some fucking theme music in here like like a, like rocky anthem or something okay not for the question just to feel like uh, i mean we've only been talking text for fucking 100 and an hour and 12 minutes all right, barreling forward, the Jack Hassle, right? Did you screen this one? I didn't. Let's do it. No, but I like <laughs> his opening line. What do you do when you suck at squatting? Okay, so here's what we typically have our people do, right? So you, the first thing is you got to take your shoes. Like if it's squat day, take your shoes off, right? So you're going to go barefoot, and then you're going to walk out barefoot into traffic, and you're going to lay down, and you just fucking pray to the wad gods, that you get run over by a goddamn 18-wheeler. and we Wow, a goddamn 18-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do when you suck at squatting? Parentheses. Fold over at the hips and stick the butt up. End parentheses. And how do you, quote, feel, quote, the hamstrings in the seesaw walk? Some days my goblet squats are good. But adding a bar and doing an air squat causes chaos. Are we getting trolled? Well, text? first off, <laughs> unprivate your account,
2: Jack. <laughs> you ain't got no future, Jack.
1: All right. Uh, you got to get a coach. I'm just going to go ahead and squash this. You got to get a coach who knows what the fuck they're doing. Um, you know, and uh, I'm not going to say our way is the only way to squat. Like, But there's a kind of like...
2: Yeah, what are you training for? Yeah.
1: So, you know... I would get a coach. I would hit up text. I would post a video of your squat and tag us in it, unlock your private account, whatever. Um, and then see if we have some feedbacks for you. If you can't find tension in your hamstrings, during a I seesaw that walk. One. Yeah.
2: Okay. So feel feel. Uh, those of you that have experienced a seminar or me and Lucas coaches, we love to joke about feelings. Feelings. We can talk yeah. about feelings. We can text. talk about feelings. This is the circle of trust, the trust tree. So we, we talk about... What? I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. Yeah, go. Um, so we talk about feelings. Why? Because your feelings will lie to you, okay? So if you expect to feel a movement every single time, you are missing the mark. So we, this is where we can introduce essentially your stages of, of learning, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. So I don't want you to think about feeling a seesaw walk. The reason you are probably failing and folding over in your squat is because you're attempting to feel... The action in your posterior chain. So, again, I have to watch you move, but generally, uh, when we talk about the hamstring, a hamstring is a biarticular muscle, meaning it crosses two joints.
1: It is truly the spider in the web of movement.
2: It is, according to Franz Bosch, Mm -hmm. and I agree. But uh, biarticular muscles, it's very difficult to feel tension in there because there's a lot of senses going on. Your quads, however, they are very easy for you to feel tension in because they are monoarticular muscle, three of them crossing your knee so imagine if you stand up tall as you can right now and I just want you to push your knees forward shoot your knees forward keep a vertical chest you're going to feel tension in your quads okay and if you expect to feel that same sensation in your hamstring when you push your butt back or go into a seesaw walk you're lying to yourself okay so it's this is why a lot of female Olympic lifters again have a challenge learning to feel tension in the bottom of the lift that's primary reason why we teach the our Olympic lifting from the hip down the top down so we can train our athletes the proper positions they may not be able to feel the tension in their hamstring but they'll be in the correct position when you go into your seesaw walk I care that you're in the proper position not how it feels to you again now we advance into our stages of learning. So we have four that we focus on with our athletes. The first, unconscious incompetence, meaning you don't know what your body's doing. You don't know what to feel. You're just lost when it comes to your movement. The second is going to be conscious un- incompetence, meaning now you, you know what the movement's like, but you just do not have a mind-muscle connection there yet. So conscious incompetence, you know you're doing it wrong. That's probably where you are right now. Then we get into conscious competence. This is where you have to focus and think about the movement. So you are giving every ounce of your effort into focusing on executing a seesaw walk well. And you may be doing great, but here's the issue. You're thinking about feeling in your hamstring. You're thinking about what your body is doing, and that's going to stop your ability to progress to our final stage that we need our athletes to get to when we train them, which is unconscious competence. Meaning I don't, you know, you're just executing seesaw walk seamless and effortlessly. You're executing your squat seamlessly and effortlessly, despite of what on, what is on the bar. I need you to get to this level with your movement because guess what happens when you step onto the field, the rink, the court for performance. You don't have time to think about your hamstring. You don't have time to think about your foot position. You don't have time to think about your back because guess what? You got to think about the, what the defense is lining up against you. You have to think about and anticipate what your teammate, your wide receiver, your midfielder, uh, your your fellow defender, all these people are doing. That takes a lot of mental focus, right? And you can't be thinking about your foot position, or your back position during this time. So if we can just get you moving so well that you don't have to think about what your body's doing, that's going to be the objective. So when I say don't worry about feeling in your seesaw walk, let's make sure you're in the right position. Unprivate your account, put up a seesaw walk video, and then let's tear it apart.
1: Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we have Fix Our Lift on the forums as well. Oh, yeah. Or if you follow one of our programs, you could drop it in the feed. Um, Just some other options.
2: Yeah, but your feelings will lie to you. That's a fact. I mean, it doesn't get much truer than
1: that, Tex. I mean, if there's one lesson to learn on Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, is that the way you feel doesn't matter. Right? Yeah. Exactly. We don't care. All right. Uh, next one is just says drills for footwork for striking sports.
2: A universal athletic position. Mm-hmm. Um, moving that through the transverse plane.
1: Yeah. So all sorts of step, squat, lunge. Uh, I, I honestly, we would just teach our, excuse me. We would teach our, our strikers like sprinters or field sport athletes, shorter distances, right. Uh, To, in terms of working on pervert, the footwork and sprints and agility. And then, and the reason I say that text is because of battling the uh, emotional connection to just kind of the road work. And I'm, I'm making a a blanket statement here that perhaps that, that psychographic of individual has been raised on the, the absolute necessity of road work. And you can hear it like James Krause talked about this when we pushed back on him, like, dude, here's why it doesn't fucking help. He's like, Oh no, I get it. But you don't get the mental side of things. And then what do we say? Good point. Fair enough. Like if that's, if that's the level you're at and that's, and that's what it, if that's what it's going to entail, then we have to unwind that shit, and that's why I would pick some shorter well,
2: bursts. if as, – as a Marshalline – I can't pronounce your, your handle, pal. But if this individual is asking us for drills and footwork, he's not at the level of UFC fighter mm-hmm. champion James Krause. Sure. So this is an opportunity to unwind. Sure. So it would be challenging your athletic position, your ability to lunge, and all the, all the different things we talked about through different planes of motion, that would be your footwork. There, not um, ladders.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like the we talked about dot drills and ladders in that, again, that earlier question, and it's 3P model, right? When we talk about prudency component of that, is it the best way to drive an accelerated adaptation that we know of? And the answer is just no, right? Not without... Taking into consideration the three components of skill transfer that we already fucking beat down uh, internal structure, external structure, energy systems, right? So if we start to replicate that, uh, then we can start to, to maximize the skill transfer in some of these traditional footwork drills. But without doing, taking into consideration those three things, if you're just doing whatever it takes to be the quickest one in that drill, odds are you're abandoning the skill transfer component and you were creating a parlor trick. That fucking dude who has speed feet and does that crazy shit on Facebook videos that we see every, you know, 18 months he comes up again. You know, he's in his spandex and fucking does like, it's fucking impressive. That's a lot of work to dedicate to just being good at that little fucking ladder.
2: Yeah, I don't got time for that. But, yeah, have you seen the catch of football? I think so.
1: It might have been special effects though. (laughs) Might have been. (laughs)
2: Uh, so I think Asked an Answer. You got this one? I haven't read it yet, but I... Yes, you have. Oh, yeah, one. these first two. Um, I guess we can combine these? Yeah, all
1: right. You want Big Pack and I'll do Brozo Co.? Okay.
2: As a D-line coach, what are some good exercises to work on explosive upper body punch? Some of our guys seem to struggle with the idea of creating full, powerful extension with their arms when coming into contact with an offensive lineman.
1: Let's not answer these together.
2: Oh, I know. That's what well, I was joking. Okay. <clears throat> but we our listeners will get the mm-hmm. joke later on. I'm funny. Going on. What would, what would be some movements that can implement in the weight room to get better at this? I'm looking forward to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Big Pac. Okay. First one I'm going to go with is our floor press. So if we think about the difference between a floor press and a bench press. A bench press allows us to unrack that barbell and then use a stretch shortening cycle. So we're going to load then explode. Uh, now with a floor press, we take away the bench. We lay our athletes down onto the ground. They don't—they will unrack the weight, but they must control it down. So they're controlling through the eccentric phase uh, versus a fast explosive stretch shortening. Then when their elbows get down to the ground, they have to maintain tension. So we're balling up tension there. And then either on a teammate or a coach's cue, they'll say punch. So from there, they will punch that way up. They'll keep their shoulders uh, pressed against the ground. But it's going to be very representative of the punch that you're looking for. It's not going to be as much weight as they can probably use to bench pressing.
1: Well, that's I'm going to jump ahead okay, or back. Why do you think that some of these punches might not be explosive? because I'm assu- okay this guy's d line coach i'm gonna i didn't click through but let's assume they're high school okay is that a cool text oh yeah what is the number one He's badge private. of honor number one badge of honor in high school football uh,
2: your bench press right
1: and as I'm going for heavier and heavier weights as a young kid what does my bench press start to look like slow and then what where where since big weights and bench press are all that matters where are the majority of my reps executed at
2: maximal load once yeah
1: like maximal load which are, are we've already talked about are these grindy slow movements right so this is probably the issue is the numbers game chasing the numbers even if they have the right mechanical setup and they execute in a safe con- like connected pattern where are they breaking on our three criteria of skill transfer? Energy system, right? Rate of force. So if you're trying to add speed to a movement pattern, you have to pull out the variable that's in training, disallowing speed, which is load. load. And guess what? All your fucking big fucking three hundred pound benchers are gonna be like, that's bullshit, right? So uh
2: But go again sport performance that's going to be the driving thing when they may be giving you a hard time during the weight room or during the weight training session but you again need to establish a confidence if you it sounds like you have a great opportunity to be a sport coach and work in the weight room you have a lot of power which means you have a lot of responsibility here so all the movements that your athletes doing they better be set up so they get, they transfer to the field mm-hmm. and what we would ask i guess try out the floor press We do have a a video on the line that we can put into the show notes where we're talking through the setup and the execution. So, again, we're looking to a controlled, bringing that weight controlled down, maintaining tension, ball up that tension, and then on command, punch. Keep the shoulders back, but it's going to be explosive. It's going to be fast and very representative of the punch demand that you're looking for, especially for an offensive lineman.
1: Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, you got to throw in in combination to that, though. We got to hit our throws, right? Yep. So this is where you're going to get and like, not throwing a fucking 135-pound sandbag, but getting a
2: 8-12,
1: 14-pound eight, eight, 12, eight, 12. ball. Yep. Take it, Tex.
2: Uh, and then this is where we would get practice the rotation. So essentially we are focusing with a floor press on the horizontal push, primal, and then a lot of the musculature involved but then throws allow us to take that focus of that horizontal push primal and combine it with squats, steps, lunge. So these throws could be from a lunge position. These throws could be, you know, a a, a squat throw, right? Like a bench press, but with a ball. So you can have different variations, and it's going to work on those coordinative abilities that we talked about even with the, the middle schoolers. Now you're going to start to work on it with a developed body, a developed young man. So even if he's... He's a freshman. He's going to still have to coordinate the, with the body he's got. It may not be the same in four years, but let's focus on these abilities of balance. That's where you get the freaking uh, the giant monsters on the NFL D-line or the the forwards and centers in the NBA that can handle because they worked on all those abilities when they were younger guys. Mm-hmm. So this will be a great opportunity. I love the med ball for football players because it's an opportunity to – Throw some weight around, literally, but it's an 8, 10-pound ball that really humbles guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. So even Luke and I throw that into our warm-ups once a week.
1: And don't confuse. So our warm-ups are not traditional warm-ups. And I would say the integrative work after we warm up.
2: Right. In, like, normal people's. Our med ball work. Right. Okay. So our med ball work, we throw it in once a week, and we try to get as creative as possible within the primal movements X, Y, and Z Define different tactics that we we struggle with, and then we dial in and focus on those. So different kinds of throws. Have some fun with it. I just recommend keeping your mind with an X, Y, Z. But then try the floor press. And again, do your damnedest to humble your guys. You don't want the hips off the ground. You don't want bouncing elbows off the ground. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure you apply prudency when you do implement this uh, big pack. But... um, yeah, throw that up video on private your account.
1: <laughs> no,
2: this is a different question now. Throw no, I know he's still private. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, just because you're like the account police here? Well, I, I need examples. I'd like to see video. I can talk yeah, about all yeah, these definitely. theories, but if we can't see the athlete, it's different. All right, and next,
1: uh, Burasco, and this guy seems legit, dude. Like he's on private, so that already means he's like, uh, you know, cool, dude. But his he wants to know our thoughts on s- using sports specific movements in the weight room parentheses for example throwing a punch with dumbbells what are the pros and cons uh, also the best way to improve your conditioning example long distance running or ten to fifteen minute metcons okay we don't we don't like it right it affects uh, loading loading these these delicate proverbial, delicate, moving, movement patterns or any movement patterns change the way you do it unloaded. And if you're going to be, unless the competition calls for punching with dumbbells, don't fucking punch with dumbbells. You know what I mean? Uh, the goal is to increase your ability, the rate at which you can contract and relax the musculature to throw a fucking punch, which is a combination of rotation and press and push pull with those legs. Okay. Okay. So you got, we would break those and reduce those movement patterns down, and work on our ability to be very powerful and quote unquote twitchy through those patterns, uh, and then start to combine them in sort of bag work and other striking work to then display the improved abilities, the improved training response from uh, from all of the dumbbell, barbell, sandbag throwing work that we've done, right? So that's how we're going to do that. We're not going to strap dumbbells on to punch. We're not going to put elastic suits on to fucking sprint. We're not going to do any of that shit, right? We're, you can't rely on that. We're going to use on fundamental, fundamental loading techniques, which, you know, barbells, sandbags, dumbbells, kettlebells, and honestly, fuck, you know, be, or maybe it's non-traditional shit, but what we're doing is we're loading and approaching overload on the primal movement patterns through space. And we're balancing that, with opportunities to display the the new capabilities garnered through training and resistance training and various types of stressed training practices in the performance domain, and that's the essence of skill transfer, right? So it's not trying to trick or force by throwing dumbbells. It's going to affect your ability to punch.
2: Yep, and simply put, if you want to read more on this, this is, uh, this is our intra- Muscular coordination, so we have number encoding, rate encoding, and pattern encoding. Mm-hmm. All this is at the neurological level. Your ability to coordinate a specific skill and task. So your you will trick your body and you will make your punches less coordinated, less accurate, which you know in boxing is pretty important. So just don't do it. There you go, people. So
1: uh, the final thing, best. <laughs> A best way to improve your conditioning. Uh, so conditioning is tricky for me because it lets stay in the paradigm of sport, right? You need to be, you know, you need to be in good enough shape to survive your training, right? And that we're talking about under the, like if we were to make the tip of a pyramid, your actual time spent playing sport, your strength coach should be spending all that time under there. Say underwear, text. Underwear. <laughs> gotcha. Under that that apex of the pyramid, working on the fundamental combinatory skills and patterns and strength and power and speed, the replication of speed, you know, addressing limiting factors. And this is like, unfortunately, some of this stuff may seem mundane for a long time until you start to really build up your athlete. Then you get really jiggy with it. Right. But doing those fundamental, improving upon those fundamental skills, the seven primal movements through the three planes of motion, you truly have an infinite amount of tools that you can use. However, it's not appropriate, right? So you stay focused, you work on a specific um, limiting factor, and then you play your sport, you fight, right? You box, and that's where you're going to build your conditioning base for your sport. Now, throwing in a Metcon and doing some like steady state cardio those can contribute to your conditioning, but it will never, nothing, you know, we used to say, because all of us were football players, uh, you know, you can train as hard as you want in the off season, get in the best shape of your life, right? But nothing prepares you for the first day of training camp, right? And then you can train as hard as you can in training camp and be in the best shape you've ever been in training camp, but nothing prepares you for the first day of pads, right? And then you can get acclimated to fucking banging your head and beating your head against your teammates, but nothing prepares you for that first scrimmage. And then, you know what I mean? And you yeah. can see where this is going because the only way to prepare for those iterations in your sport is to truly play your sport. Imagine if you went from fucking off season to first game like the guys are doing now with limited contact in preseason.
2: I'll tell you, we know exactly what happens when a season professional is cut short by a strike. Then we see ACL, we see Achilles, we see all these injuries skyrocket. So we know exactly what happens. So it's not that they, our skills are not unprepared. It's maybe even not their conditioning level. It's just their, their overall body Mm -hmm. for the the stresses, the impact, the fight that is sport. So
1: did I answer the question text? Do you think? Oh yeah. So I, you know, so let's give a specific answer though. Okay. So the best way to improve your conditioning, um, is (laughs) to combine primal movements in various planes of motion with different implements in time domains that replicate the demands of your sport right Sounds and that pretty would be good. that would be like your volume work but that's not the only way to condition because that's just a metabolic that's that's metabolic threshold because there's other ways to do that imagine okay imagine for me uh, and this let's just go with fitness let's go with crossfit
2: i that's where i was going to go okay I'll... so
1: the, the the sport of conditioning essentially Right. So let's say I'm just going to make numbers up here. Text. I have a
2: specific example that people can relate to. Go do it. Okay. So it is known as (laughs) 17.1. Let me tell you, everybody, everyone prepared for the open. Everyone that did prepare for the open in 2017 that also participated in 2016, how they measured their abilities is they hit 2016 workouts again before 2017. To measure their fitness level. And I guarantee if they put in a dedicated time and training, they performed better in 2017 at 16.12 and all that than they did in 2016. Then you had the illusion of preparedness. They were in better shape. They were fitter than they were last year. 17.1 is released. And for the first time in open history, guess what the athletes were tasked with.
1: Rotation. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Rotation.
2: Finally, we have a use for that. Yes, for the first time in the open history in five, six years, athletes were asked to move through the transverse plane. Go. <laughs> and their illusion of preparedness, they had increased work capacity according to measure it, workout to workout, but the actual task at hand was asking them to perform a, a movement through the transverse plane that they've never done before. So this is not a three-inch hop twisting over a barbell. This is freaking clearing a 24-inch a box, actually moving your hips through space, not clearing three inches. So guess what? People's worlds were wrecked, and that's one of the most challenging, hardest workouts that they've ever done before. No. I guarantee they've done harder workouts, Murph, every freaking Memorial Day. <laughs> but... Their body was not prepared for the task. So here's how I want you to improve your conditioning. I want you to look at different planes of motion, and you hit all three. You combine three movements that hit all three, and then you work for 10 to 15 minutes. Sounds pretty good. Seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. Stick with seven, 12 minutes and bust your ass. You move as fast as you can when you can, and you can't. Take a moment, take a breath, and then go again. So that will improve your ability, your efficiency of your metabolic system, not just going like a hamster on a fucking wheel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Slow, monotonous. That won't prepare you for sport. It won't prepare you for the sport of fitness. And then make sure you get that transverse plane in. So how you add the transverse plane is adding rotation. It's not just box over burpees. That's the illusion now people will put into their open preparation is getting that movement to attack that, getting better at that movement mm-hmm. to get better at that movement. No, I need you to get better at moving through the transverse plane. So that's how you're going to improve your ability to do that movement.
1: And I guess I was going to take, a, you know, when I was sitting with Dr. Tom encladon who's also a symposium speaker, who's also a really fucking smart guy. Right. And I was asking him how he, if he could like program a universal soldier, you know, what were the training or the, a universal fitness athlete, you know, like, but like Universal Soldier, like what is the number? What makes one amazingly fucking fit individual better than another amazingly fit individual? And he has said it's nothing to do with energy systems, it's neural efficiency, right? So I'm going to make numbers up here, Tex, okay? And let's say um, the task is 21159 thrusters pull ups, okay? And in order for me to uh, to do a, th- a 95-pound thruster, right? I have to activate fucking 15 motor units, right? Okay. Now, how to get faster at this, we we're always attacking it at the metabolic, being able to feed those motor units, right? Metabolically, uh, the energy system. But what Dr. Tom was talking about, he's like, Teach your athlete to do the task with two motor units. And you will require less metabolic demand. And that's the essence of neural efficiency. So uh, you can keep hammering these fifteen and hammer 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 and hammer, right? And become more efficient at shuttling energy. Or you don't use them all and you shuttle less fucking energy. And guess what you have?
2: More efficient athlete.
1: Right. And this is what I've been toying with for like a year trying to like Flesh out this idea of the economy of movement because people always relate to money, right? Yes. Why? Why fucking f- be frugal, right? It's about frugality of movement. Really, is do the minimal amount of effort.
2: Nah, but effort's rewarded.
1: Now, I guess what I'm getting at is we're we're attacking we're attacking it from now we're attacking from a less, but for my man about building a big a larger base of conditioning if you can expand neurological capability. You know what I mean? Then you're ultimately required. You need less metabolic energy to perform a task. So this all comes down to managing tension, right? And effectively moving, use, utilizing simple kinetic linkage, like move in the the. The pattern that's most efficient to generate the most amount of force, right? So this would be things like posterior chain dominance and a lot of the oh, shit. Oh, yeah.
2: Toes forward wall balls, baby.
1: Exactly. Like that. those types of things, they're going to tire you out less because they're more efficient structural movement patterns. And, and this is not fucking voodoo. It's, it's just.
2: Not. And you're using tendons more versus relying on muscles. Muscles, you have to create energy. Tendons are elastic. Oh, man. Luke, we got to work on this. I don't know.
1: Economy of movement, frugality and movement, something like that. We're yeah, fleshing but, out.
2: but we have reference. Uh-huh. So we have examples now that we can communicate and connect with the sport of fitness athletes and coaches mm-hmm. because of the evolution of the Open. 16.1, first time in history. The lunge was introduced, and that fucked people's worlds up. Yeah. And then we had the transverse plane. So
1: anyways. So uh, kind it's of good. a – It's good. It's so good. So man, man uh, – Kind of a, and our listeners, a little bit of a sidetrack, but the goal is like you can do both and you, you shouldn't do one or the other. It just should be understanding the mechanisms and methods to accomplish these things, either in a block fashion or concurrent fashion. And what's right, what's wrong, text? I don't know. A lot of variables. What are the limiting factors of the athlete? How much time do we have? What is the task specific? I see you're hitting a bag. We're assuming you're boxing, man. So uh, that's kind of where a lot of these analogies came out. But that's essentially it. Um, and I think that was the last question, man. Not a lot of people. Ooh. Well, you just hit reload as yeah, I, I did. did. Fuck. Okay, let's keep going. I'm, I'll am i keep going. Driving a tractor. I can drive it okay on the road, but when I'm in the field, I seem to lose it and freeze up. Maybe I'm uh, agrophobic. I
2: think. <laughs> Robin, I think you're messing with us. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, yeah, so what we're going to do with the tractor is we're going to take our shoes off. We're going to walk out into traffic, lay down, and hope we get hit by an 18-wheeler.
2: Yeah, I think you should look underneath it when it's running. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Let's go to those KPIs.
2: Oh, you're jumping down. Oh, go. Oh, no, KPI. I thought that was a screen name. No, no. Yeah, go, 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 go.
1: Are there any KPIs you guys see across the board for tactical athletes in the weight room that transfer over to the field of performance and injury reduction? I'm also interested in how you guys presented training principles for the conventional army unit you consulted with. Was just basic methodology, or did you provide them with programming as well? Um, KPIs, key performance indicators. This would be, you know, uh, common limiting factors, right? Uh, that's kind of how we would uh, translate that in our our vernacular. Because at the foundation of the whole methodology is a coach's ability to understand first the task at hand for the athlete and then assess or diagnose the limiting factors within the performance paradigm, right? Our performance paradigm, which is your ability to squat, step, lunge, push, pull, do that over and over, body awareness, speed, replication, speed, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about this kind of ad nauseum. Um, So first off tactical athletes, right? Let's talk special forces. Uh, These, you know, what's funny is, we get a chance to work with these guys and people think they are fucking some sort of like apex mover and like the most advanced fucking soldier out there. And that a lot of these guys are actually fucking broken. You know, they, the, the mentality that is required to succeed at some of these high levels is that of self-destruction at all costs. So what you see is guys who are able to perform and out either outwit or Or trick their bodies into keep going when something is royally fucked up. And ultimately, what you start to do is you really start to grind those gears down. So at most, honestly, the most significant issue for these guys is their ability to just effortlessly move. Because they are fucking... And and there is some truth to this, right? There is some truth to the fact that you can grind through just about anything. And that's the mentality and selection process, right? So... I guess the biggest thing that we see is just an inability to efficiently move through space, you know, and I would say strength, coordinated abilities, they tend to be masters of their specific craft. I guess one might even call it mobility or structural issues, but it's because of the rigor of the job. So a lot of what we do with those guys is what you do with a lot of professional athletes. I mean, you look at some of the professional athletes that came in. I remember one of our guys in Seattle had the Seahawks defensive backfield roll up. Yeah, like, Legion of boom. Yeah. And he's like, these guys are terrible movers and they're fucking, they are like battered, broken individuals. What do I do? And we're like, nothing like Don't hurt them. Yeah, don't hurt them. Stick to the warm-ups. Very basic. And that's kind of how we would treat these special forces guys is they're beat up, they're rough around the edges. We would identify movement deficiencies and work within their specific ranges of motion to maximize their potential. But the same thing falls in play, people. We're going to hit rotation we're going to hit sagittal frontal plane we're going to hit upper and lower we're going to do unilateral work bilateral work and we're just going to kind of have a culmination and progression of all of these things focusing specifically on that dynamic movement prep portion right and the speed and agility side of things so um Field performance and injury reduction are one and the same in our methodology. The fact that we enforce posture and position through all movements—right posture and position. Posture is how you're organizing your trunk, your limbs. Position is maintaining the those relationships through movement patterns. Did I say that right, Tex?
2: Oh yeah. Um, You've been reading. Yeah,
1: I, I wrote basically wrote that book. <laughs> um, uh, but by enforcing these things, and recognizing them, and having the coach's eyes. You're, you're reducing injury because, as I always like to say, you know, uh, there are no bad movements. There's just bad movement patterns. Or did I say that wrong?
2: No, you're 100% right. So we say that same message to sport of fitness athletes, any football coaches that we talk about, right? It's not going to be the ring dips that hurt you. It's the movement mm-hmm. that one athlete did that got hurt. So the, the conventional army unit we worked
1: with was the airborne unit, an airborne unit, yeah. I should say, and uh
2: and but they
1: hosted us actually, so we had ev- we had all people from actually everywhere, right? So the problem with those guys is they're just not fit to serve. So we even, I mean, some of the guys that you know the people that were there take this shit seriously, so they know what the fuck's going on. But the people they're in command of aren't even like heist. They don't have the capacity training capacity not like fitness or anything but the training capacity of a high school kid who's played one year of sports and like was even taught poorly right they've been taught nothing at all so we started with just the fundamentals of movement and progression right we taught that we treated that it was like telling a PE coach we were teaching PE coaches how to deal with kids who have never fucking been exposed to exercise that's the that's some of the struggle that they these guys have now through this conversation, though, you find pockets of, you know, certain units that have a different culture and it is a training culture, right? And, uh, you know, what we talked to those guys about is basically like, hey, understand the task at hand. If you're going to be coming in on a, off a jump on a parachute going 22 feet per second, you better know how to fucking adequately reduce force with your feet together. Because if you're rolling up onto your toes and catching in your toes, you're going to blow some knees out. So we talked a lot about the importance of just... The the taxonomy of teaching movement patterns, right? First and foremost, teaching reduction, then alignment, then production. And this is a common fallacy in like almost everybody's fucking training is how much weight can I move? Well, that's not how much make, how much can you reduce? How can you maintain alignment, AKA posture position, right? These are things that have to be assessed as well. So, uh, but yeah, we talked a lot about methodology and then, um, We are eagerly, eagerly trying to understand how we fit into the performance triad of the U.S. Army. And if it would at all be possible to catch the ear of some decision makers to see some power athlete methodology be deployed Army-wide. And this is like... This is a dream state of ours. So we've made the connection and we're excited to hopefully continue the conversation. But at this point we gave them a clinic and uh, you know, it was awesome. I think those guys are going back. There's like 75% were excited, 25 were voluntold to show up. Uh, but uh, we also did witness the flattest feet we'd ever seen in our lives, collectively, so.
2: Whoa, yeah. Next question.
1: So what is this? What is lacrosse? Lacrosse.
2: <laughs> oh, those that's like uh, the shoes with the alligators. Uh, no. Uh, you ever heard of a lacrosse ball? K- K-Star invented oh, it? Oh, yes, of mobility. Right. So this is from Dad of Moose, a fellow D3 all-star. Okay. He and I have coached against each other back in uh, oh, past nice. life. And he says the lacrosse face-off. So it requires fast twitch muscle for the initial clamp strength to finish the clamp, move your opponent out of the way, and acceleration to pick up the ground ball in a run. So, just to give some inexperienced people for what this is, so after each goal, the ball starts in the middle on the ground, and two athletes approach the ball. Like the sport of hockey. I guess so, Mm -hmm. like a face-off in hockey, but it's gonna be on the ground, so you gotta to essentially try to clamp the ball faster than your opponent or move his ass out of the way. Mm So, the average faceoff athlete takes 10 to 20 draws a game. And Dad of Moose is asking, My playing days are over, but help me coach them up. So, what he's looking for is how to improve reaction, strength, and acceleration. Uh, so, again, how to improve the skill that's going to be on you, coach. Think of lacrosse faceoffs like jujitsu, right? It's freaking lock and key, lock and key. If your athlete or if the um, lacrosse player does one move, there's a counter to it and there is no one set always winning move. So you're going to have to focus and break down, just like we talked about with skill work, all the components that are possible in a face-off and there are limited and you need to master each component at a low heart rate, low stress. Then their opportunity to master that is the game or practice. So for acceleration, you would do essentially push-up starts and acceleration-focused drills. You can even pull in the prowler, the knee-up-toe-up, so you can teach your athletes to drive into the ground. So similar to the prowler, you can't use proper arm mechanics to sprint because you have a lacrosse stick in your hand. So that'll be a good transfer carryover. And then we have our, our strength. Essentially, you're going to have to do a lot of field work. I'd say a lot of sandbag work, but master squat step lunge. Maintaining good posture, and then push push your athlete around. Use them to, to use their hips to uh, to maneuver, essentially, in all planes of motion. So a good face-off is essentially a good wrestler. They just got a weapon. So that's how I want you to think about it. But then, um, again, listen to the beginning of the podcast. we answered a lot of this question. Mm-hmm. But you can improve their physical traits, but not necessarily their skill work has to be practiced and that's going to be on you, but it's just the lock and key portion of the game. It's just like jujitsu. All
1: right. We got kind of two more here, Tex. Um, I'll read them both, but it comes down. I'll just pre-answer these with experience. You need the experience, right? So how do you go from developing competency in an individual private movement to the ability to complete them as a part of a more complex movement pattern through time and space during sport? We use tumbling and gymnastics movements, but would be interested to hear your ideas. Well, it's a constant ebb and flow between rehearsal. These are for wrestlers. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, I'm assuming it's, he's asking for, cause he's Valley Vista wrestling, but what if he's a multi-sport coach? I don't fucking know. Anyways, um, it's through resets and reps and overload. Right. And it's then through exposing, uh, your athlete to other skills and drills. Like you'll find in field strong and, bedrock and, uh, grindstone and all of our shit, but it, you know, it's various lunging, stepping, squatting drills, but then having skills and drills that move through space, some things like simple sprints and shuttles, like that's kind of where it starts at first, but then the idea is to find open loop opportunities, whether that's visual reaction, auditory reaction, right? Uh, tactile reaction, uh, Chase tag Towel tag um, tum- You know Sure Tumbling
2: Gymnastics It's closed loop
1: Right What's that Gymnastics The sport of gymnastics But not necessarily Gymnastics Movements Right So yes I can rehearse Gymnastics routines But the movements Found in gymnastics I could give We could do fucking Okay You know On the run Forward roll Fucking dive left I don't fucking know Like
2: All right. You you, you must apply reaction to those gymnastic movements. Right.
1: I was just watching actually one of the gals out here who uh, is going to do some video for us. So she's a gymnast and she has like an adult gymnastics class. Now, all of it's like skills and drills closed loop, but she has access to a foam pit. She has access to a fucking uh, 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 floor. Fuck, what are they called? Spring floor? I don't know. But uh, vaults like and all these fucking grownups are doing like crazy twists and rolls and shit. and They look like shit, but they're doing it, you know, and it and here's the thing is like that connection doesn't happen in a day and you tick a box. You know what I mean? Like imagine fucking Lionel Richie, you know, around that wheel of clay carving that face. You know, it just doesn't happen in a day. You're constantly carving that block of clay to make a face. Is that Lionel Richie? hello, or is that Adele? <laughs> but it's just like, it's something that, that is a long-term objective and it's it's trusting in the process, yeah. right? And observing competency. And it's going to take a coach's eye to see these things develop, but it's 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 a cyclical process that eventually progresses, right? And uh, it starts with a, a fine, like we said before, finite set of movements, some basic barbell stuff and some sprinting. And then as you can as you, a coach, during your life cycle, become more and more creative on how to understand and challenge these things, that's how you start to build the competency,
2: right? Yep, and be patient.
1: So, and then uh, the Thick Mick asks, uh, can you give some basic guidelines for selecting an exercise more specific than a basic barbell movement, but less specific than a sports specific drill? No. So he wants to know like, okay, so I want to do some I want to do some primal movements, but I don't want them to be the barbell lifts. But then I don't want it; to, it's got to be somewhere between the specific sport and not. So basically, man, uh, don't worry about it. You're thinking too much. Like you got to back out. Like we, I was just talking about with our guy uh, Valley Vista Wrestling. You just hit the primals, perfect the primals, overload the primals, introduce some simple variants uh, as pro- um, as you exhaust linear progression, as you build base level of strength. Then you go through you increase movement selection slightly, and then you're challenging your athlete by not necessarily throwing more confusion in there, but mastering the proficiency of the fundamentals of sprinting, agility, the barbell work, sand, and then get some throwing in there, sand, sandbag throws, uh, slam ball throws, med ball throws, like of varying loads, varying rotational patterns, varying primal setups, and like that that concurrent like that. Just commitment to progressing in proficiency is all you need to do. And that will unlock the performance abilities to improve. So when you remember, you're handing you're handing this athlete off to a sport coach and you say, hey, this is fucking athlete 2.0. And they go, sweet. They're going to acquire skills faster. They're going to understand coaching. They're going to be able to uh, display the movements that you've rehearsed and trained and with a barbell and other implements, and they're gonna be able to do this more effectively, efficiently for longer, for more periods of time, more repetitions. Okay, I'll take the rest, right? Yeah. So that's the that's the ebb and flow of the cyclicality of strength and conditioning for performance, athletes who are playing field sports, right? Did I miss anything?
2: No. And we do provide an opportunity to go into deeper depth with deeper large- depth large majority of these <sighs> these questions here and kind of uh, essentially tie them to movement patterns, principles, and programs in our Power Athlete Methodology course.
1: That's right, people. Academy.PowerAthleteHQ.com. And this is like, honestly, if you guys are geeking out on this shit, listen, I know, if some of you have made it through this and you're like, hey, where's like all the funny movie quotes and lines that they all typically talk about? Like, we're sorry, this was an educational one, Right but for those of you who are listening like finally these fuckers stop posting memes and just starting talking about some training shit like hey listen we got a fucking we got a home base for you academy.powerathletehq.com and uh, dude so that's what's what's exciting about this and what's kind of triggered this is this is uh we're going to be talking to, to a lot of people who want to know a lot of this shit this weekend cuz this is our first fucking block one yep review right test testing sem or testing course seminar event event testing event where from semester one we as you guys know or may or may not know each one of our semesters of the power athlete methodology course is limited to 100 people and these are the folks that qualified tested and scored appropriately to be invited to the block one coaches test so they're invite only they're heading out this weekend and uh they're they're going to come in and try to hang you know.
2: Yeah. And- so we have a uh, essentially a three day event, and this is the first, but each will have their own keynote speaker. So this weekend we got Jeff Gonzalez of Trident Concepts Fame. So he's going to talk to all of our attendees essentially about teaching potential and a lot of interesting things. He said he's got a ninety minute unique presentation going up, so they'll get a unique experience. Uh, from there we have uh, we have just barbecue. And then Saturday, Sunday is two days of essentially training and testing. So uh, they're going to have the opportunity to walk away learning from a keynote speaker, something unique experience, but then the rest of it is going to be testing. Even the training is a test, right? So we're going to jump in and put them through some field strong and we're going to be training with them. And guess what? We expect those coaches to fucking coach and uh, bang some weights and maybe suffer a little bit. What do you think? Uh, Yeah. All right. So we'll find out. Yeah, I guess a lot about them when uh, the belt squats kamikaze goes down.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's going to be sassy, Tex. It's going to be sassy. Here's what's fucking crazy about this thing, though. So John's not here to, like, overpower this conversation, so I'm just going to do it. Okay. He's been fucking talking about building these blocks forever, right? Like, this is the whole—I feel like the whole reason we even started this company is so John could one day weld ceremonial blocks, right? And he's done it. And here's who he's fucking done it with
2: you people. Oh, this this actually blows my mind.
1: Jesse fucking James and John Wellborn welded the first batch of fucking blocks. Yes. He, they pressed them and welded them. Jesse fucking James. Yes. That's insane.
2: It, it's unbelievable. Uh, I actually, when John and I went over to his shop um, months months ago. So he took us and in, in, he was just kind of whittling guns. Is that mm-hmm. what you do? You whittle? <laughs> yes. Yes. He was making he was making guns and just holding conversation. And then when he pieced together the ones he was working on, he just kind of pull up to the side and test fire them. So mid conversation, just freaking draw. It was it was a unique experience getting to hang out in his shop. And then um, John was taking care of the blocks, and we reconvened in the morning for training. And he's telling us he had to go over. Yeah,
1: he's like, I went over to Jesse's house and we welded him up. You know, it's just like, it's like what? Yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. And I guess you know, there's uh, there's some questionable questionable character attributes of jesse james but it doesn't change the fact that the dude's like a a fucking amazing like amazing artist with this shit like fabrication and welding and everything like that so um
2: yeah dude i don't know i hung out for two hours i got he was a cool guy cool cat and a amazing artist you were right
1: yeah dude anywho i think that's it dude i think i'm tired i'm tired of talking impossible (laughs) i really do all right, people, that concludes this crew episode of Power Athlete Radio. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Shameless request. Go rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. I think we're on those three. We got to get out on it even more. We got to fucking upgrade. Um, but thanks again, folks. And wadesarmy.org is what we're pushing. Check it out. Contribute. Follow Wade's Army on Instagram. Follow Wade's Army on Facebook. And literally, I don't know if you could hear me clacking and typing – during this episode, but uh, I was ex- urgently putting up our second wave of symposium tickets as we record this today on Wednesday. So uh, get out there and get your symposium tickets while they last, because I already hit up our wait list of people who are humping our leg to get more fucking seats, and it's going down. So Power Athletes and Symposium uh, is slash symposium. Thanks again, and until next time, uh, work on that primal proficiency. Hey, how about that text? Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Like Luke and Tex mentioned, we have reopened sales for the Power Athlete Symposium, and we are super stoked about all the guest speakers who have decided to join us for this amazing event. If you can't make it down to Austin December 8th through 10th, consider donating to the cause anyway. Head to wadesarmy.org to join the fight against neuroblastoma. Because if you don't, I'll find you. Just kidding. But seriously, donate. Until next time. Bye.